Would you please turn your Bible uh, to the book of Joshua? Before getting to our passage tonight, let me just give an introduction uh, of uh, the redemptive historical context of this book. The book of Joshua occupies a pivotal position between the Pentateuch and the historical books. It's a book that points us backwards as well as forward regarding God's redemptive plan. It points us backwards to God's covenant with Abraham and his offspring, especially with a concept of rest. Also point us to the Exodus, to the Mosaic Covenant. And in this way, the book of Joshua stands in a sharp contrast, for instance, to the book of Numbers, where we see uh, the failure of unbelief. Chapter 14, 13, we see there the failure of entering, the failure of conquering the land. But books, its books also point us forward, for instance, uh, to the time of judges, where, uh, in which most conservative scholar believers should be the target audience here. And as it points us forward, you need to remember the times of judges uh, was a time when there was no king, and everyone was doing according to what was right in their own eyes. And a time, really, pretty much, uh, where the people were already in the promised lands, but living as if there was no God, no covenant, no law, still under the oppression of their enemies, had not even finished the conquering of the lands, and much less found rest for their souls. So a book like uh, Judge uh, pretty much uh, looks like the book of Joshua in some way. The book of Joshua begins with the death of Moses, and the book of Judge begins with the death of Joshua in the people inquiring uh, the Lord on how they can even uh, move forward without Joshua, without a king. Now, this is very important for us to understand because in this way, the book of Joshua would be a great reminder to God's people during the time of judges, if that's the case, or the time of kings, or any time in Israel history, as it is for us a great reminder of the conquering power of faith, the great New Testament truth, as John said to us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world. That is our faith. And as we go through this passage tonight, uh, I hope we can uh, recognize that the people, people here in, in this story and throughout God's redemptive uh, uh, plan, people come and go. Leaders come and go. Disruption to normality will always be there for us. But God's covenant is an everlasting covenant with us. God's promise, God's word, and God's presence remain with us forever. So that will be basically my points tonight. So I want to invite you to consider first the great disruption to normality. Then the great encouragement 
to move forward. And the great encouragement will include God's word, God's presence, and God's promise. So let's jump into our passage here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, the servants of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the lands that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of Hittites to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the lands that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servants, commanded you. Do not turn from me to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on you meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For them, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we stand before your word, your whole inspired word, and we, we are a need people. We need you tonight to feed us, to lead us through your word. May your Holy Spirit help me and help my brothers and sisters tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. How would you feel if you were informed that a great disruption is about to take place in your life. And everything that you are so used to, think about so many things, everything that you are so used to is about to change. And the only thing that you will have is a, a vast unknown horizon before you. How would you respond to that? That's basically what's going on here in the life of Israel, in the life of Joshua, a great disruption. And we see that already in the verse 1 and 2. When the Lord said to Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. These words, these words here, perhaps no one ever imagined they would one day hear these words. They were so used to Moses, to his leadership, and now he's gone.
taken away by God himself to be buried in secrets. The people wouldn't have even his body to, give, to grieve. What about the following words? Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. How unexpected this word may have sounded to these people. It has been 40 years of instability, wandering in the wilderness, raising their kids, being nourished by God's hand, seeing the old generation dying, bury their bodies one by one. A dependable and predictable season in their life, but now everything is about to change. This is the end of one area and the beginning of a new one. The next chapter in Israel history. The next chapter in God's redemptive history. And in this chapter, God's people is about to face something they had never faced before. And now, without the great, without the great leader, Moses. Keep in mind that for most of Israel, Moses, Moses had been their only leader, the only shepherd they ever had. It was under the Moses' leadership that the people of God came out of Egypt. It was under Moses' leadership that this nation became a nation, was constituted as a nation, as they received God's law through Moses. Moses had been for many years the covenant mediator. A man, as Psalms 106.23 says, a man who stood in the breach between a sinful, ungodly, rebellious nation and the only holy one in Israel. A man who had taken the people to the very edges of the promised lands but now is no longer alive to lead them in. What a tremendous disruption and impact in the life of Israel. And we can loosely uh, compare to, for instance, stepping out of a job that you have been for decades. What comes next? Or moving out of your parents' house to go to college. Can I survive? Or bury a parent who has been always there for you, or your spouse, or your child. How can you cut with that? Or seeing your parents split over a divorce, how can I carry on without them together? Or being informed about a terrifying diagnosis regarding your health. Why me? Brothers and sisters, as you see here, these are not hypothetical questions, but real ones. These are real and painful situations that can bring waves of feeling, like anger, bitterness, confusion, doubts. Situations like these can easily easily turning to a spiritual earthquake, devastating, destroying our trust in God, in His promise, in His love and care and faithfulness to us. 
situations that I'm pretty sure that some of you have already experienced. Others are going through right now, and still others are about your faith. And perhaps just like Joshua, you're not expressing your fears and doubts. We don't see Joshua expressing his. But the Lord who searches our hearts and knows our hearts, he comes to Joshua as he comes to us tonight and says, Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. And he not only tells us what we are not supposed to do, but he also tells us what we are supposed to do and provide means for us to do so, for us to move forward, because he is a gracious God. So, here we turn to the great encouragement to move forward. And for three times, the Lord says to Joshua, commands Joshua, be strong and courageous for three times. I don't know why, Perhaps because the challenge here involved being a, a new leader, leading a new people to a new place. Or perhaps Joshua is still wondering. And you can feel a dialogue between Joshua's mind. Have I not commanded you? As if Joshua is resisting. So for three times, be strong and courageous. Most of you already had, had this passage before you and wondering what they mean to you, these commands. Is this a call for us? Is this a, is this a call from God for us to do an inward assessment? Is God asking us to do an introspection or a self-reflection? Is God asking, to, asking us to look inside ourselves so that we can examine our internal thoughts, emotions, and virtues to move forward? Is this a call to a positive thought? Of course not. On the contrary, this is a call for us to look outside of ourselves. That's why I title this sermon tonight, A Call to Faith. Because it's a call for us to rely, to trust, to rest in God's promises, in God's word, and in God's presence. That's how the Lord's going to provide here for Joshua and Israel to move forward. And the first one is the assurance of God's promise. Look, look at verse 2. In verse 2, the Lord tells Joshua to get the people ready to cross the Jordan because he is about to give this land to the people. In verse 3, the Lord ties the giving of the land to his promise. Pay attention to that. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. And then in verse 6, relating the giving of the land to his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord commands Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the lands that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
So basically, what the Lord is doing here is assuring Joshua and Israel of his promises as one of the grounds for them to be strong and courageous and move forward to inherit the lands. God's not just commanding, but providing the means because he's a gracious God. And in doing so, see what God keeps doing to Joshua here. He's making sure that Joshua understands that he is the one who will give the lands. I'm giving. I have given. I promised. I swore. It is the Lord who is the land giver. It's not about Joshua. It was never about Moses or any other man in God's redemptive history. It's about God. He is the land giver. As one of the church fathers one day said, St. Augustine, O Lord, command what you will and give what you command. The Lord never, never requires from us to do something that he does not provide the means for us to do so. He is a gracious God. So as a response, the Israelites should put their trust in God's faithfulness to his promises. And also, the Israelites should understand the nature of God's promise to avoid any false expectation, to avoid the idea of your happy life now. Notice in verse 3, the God is saying, that the land already belongs to Israel. He already gave it to them. But back in verse 2, the Lord says that the giving was yet to be accomplished. This is what we call the already but not yet nature of God's kingdom. Nature of God's promise. Yes, all promise of God in Christ are yes. But how many of them are still to be accomplished? Now, have you ever thought about who you already are in Christ? I know we are much uh, focused on what we are not. But have you already thought about who you are already in Christ? And why is this important? Let me just give us three passages to, so I can show you why it's important to, to focus and what we are already in Christ. First John 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. You see that? We are already God's children. And we need to believe so. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know we know that when he appears, we have the promise that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, speaking about our glorification. And why is it important? Because in verse 3, John will say, let us pursue in our sanctification. Let us purify ourselves as he is pure. Because we know that we are God's children. We can move forward in our sanctification. That's the ground. 
To the Philippians, in chapter 3, when Paul was expressing his goal of becoming like Christ, he said, not that I have already obtained, or I am perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I press on to become like Christ. And why Paul is so sure about that, that he can't become like Christ? He keeps saying, because Christ has made me his own. Because Christ has made us his own, we can pursue in our sanctification. Never read God's imperatives without indicatives. Always understand what God wants from you in light of what Christ has done for you. Otherwise, you'll be hopeless. And the classical passage here is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Even though we are here. Even though we don't feel like. We don't look like. But we are there. We are there. But why does it matter? Because it, it reminds us and encourages us that even though even though we don't feel very glorified, still tempted, failing so many ways, facing broken and painful earthly situation, none of these things can change our heavenly, eternal, glorious identity in Christ. So brothers and sisters, we belong to Christ. We are already God's children. We have been already united with Christ in His glorification. And very soon, this body, which is falling apart, will be glorified too. That's why it's important for us to understand the already and not yet nature of God's promise. But then God's turn, Joshua, focus to the centrality of His words. Another ground for Joshua to be strong and courageous. Verse 7, 8. Only be strong and courageous. Being careful to do. You see? How is Joshua supposed to be strong and courageous? By being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from each to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good, you shall have good success. Spiritual instructions. Be focused in God's word. Now put yourself in Joshua's Shoes here. You are about to enter into a land, which is not an empty land, but very militarized land. Which means you are about to face so many physical battles ahead. And here you are receiving spiritual instructions. Really? Shouldn't the Lord tell Joshua to make sure that his soldiers... They have their weapons ready and they are in a good shape. 
Why is the Lord giving Joshua spiritual instruction in the first place? It's like our parents or spouse when they come to us and start to talk about the Bible. And then we say, oh, the Bible right now, please? You want to preach for me? Really? Yes, Joshua. I need to preach for you. Spiritual instruction here. Why? Is this, isn't this just a call to possess a land? To overturn cities? To overcome enemies? Actually not. As you see the history of Israel, the whole idea of the promised land was related to the Sabbath day, to the rest. And you can see in verse 13, 15 here, they're going to mention that here in chapter 1. This rest was part of God's gracious gift to his people as long as they kept his covenant. This is what the author of Hebrews was trying to say, that the promise of entering in the land was in fact the promise of entering in God's rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. And yes, there is a concept of physical rest obtained by physical battle. To overcome physical enemies, yes. But this, the most difficult battle here for Israel, is the spiritual one. The most difficult conquering was the conquering of their unbelief. And the most difficult enemies that they are about to face are idolatry and sexual immoralities. This is a pagan land, pretty much like our world today. Our world pressing us, in which we are constantly tempted to turn our back to the Lord, to follow its pagan gods, or to build our own gods. So see, the land by itself, or in itself, You'd never provide rest to God's people. Just as any earthly thing, you'll never provide rest for your souls. But back to uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 4, we see that the Israelites actually failed to enter in God's rest because they did not receive the good news. God's word and that Joshua actually was pointing us to Christ as the ultimate rest giver. The author of Hebrews says that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And then he speaks about Jesus as our great high priest to say that our rest is found in Christ alone, in his works, in his suffering, death, and resurrection. And Jesus had all anticipated this rest during his ministries. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take, upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely hearts, and you will find rest for your souls. But it was only at the cross that Jesus accomplished this promise when he said it is finished 
as if he was saying, my children, now you can rest. Let me ask you tonight, have you found your rest for your soul? Or are you still trying to be your own rest? Perhaps you are visiting us tonight. Allow me to extend to this question to you as well. Who is your rest giver? Yourself? Or are you trying to find your rest by proving yourself, your self-righteousness to God or to others? Or are you trying to find your rest through your education, career, earning more money, acquiring more things? Or are you trying to find rest in someone else? Perhaps in the person that you are dating right now, in your spouse, in your family? Let me ask you, stop. You are actually overloading them with impossible and sometimes ungodly demands to provide what you think to be rest. So keep Jesus' words into our hearts. It is in Him that we find rest. In His righteousness, we find rest. Christ's righteousness provides the ground for us to be honest about our weakness, our sins, to confess them and find forgiveness and seek help. So, so far we have seen that at the heart of God's command for His people to be strong and to move forward, to inherit the land, to find rest, are God's promise, word. And now we finish with God's presence, the comfort of God's presence. And again, think about the impact of Moses' death on Joshua's life. So verses 5 and 9 answer the question whether or not Joshua, Joshua would be able to carry on Moses' legacy. He's a new leader. Whether or not Joshua would be able to lead this nation. A nation with a history of opposing their leader. A people whose parents were professional grumblers. Rebels for four years, 40 years against God. People not even circumcised. Well, knowing human nature and who we are, I bet Joshua is very unsure and scared about his mission. So the Lord comforts Joshua in verse 5. No one, no man shall be able to stand before you. All the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. When the trustees of the orphan house in England, with more than 2,000 kids, founded by the great evangelist, George Muller, when they came to Muller, Asking what would become of this orphan house when he died. Muller replied, Then the Lord will prove that he was not dependent on me, and that he can easily raise up another servant of his to act 
on the same principles on which I, I have sought to carry on this work. It's not about man. It was never about man. Always about God. We are just instruments. So in verse 9, the Lord again assures Joshua of his presence and commands him, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These words here are almost identical words that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. In other words, these words here are covenantal language. In one hand, on the one hand, no one could ever do what Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses did. On the other hand, God would be with, with Joshua just as he was with them. And why is God saying here that his promise is contingent upon his presence? Can you see that? They go together. God's promise cannot survive, be fulfilled without God's presence. Why? Because only God can do what He promised. Now, after Jesus' ascension to heaven, what a great impact in the disciples' life as well. So many questions. How would the church of Christ stand in the hostile world against God? How will the disciple of Jesus and his church carry on with his mission? And Jesus answered, Matthew 16, while speaking about himself, Jesus told his disciple, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's, it's so interesting to see that people can claim that this passage is about Peter. If Joshua, Moses, Abraham was never able to give the final rest, how Peter could dare to, to do that? It's about Jesus. He's the rock. He's the rock. What a comfort to hear that Christ is the church's one foundation. Close to his departure, Jesus said, I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll send you the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he will remind you about everything I have taught you. And brothers and sisters, everything that Jesus taught his, his disciples, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, become, became his words. And in Matthew 28, passing on his mission to his disciples, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. <laughs> Almost with the same conquering emphasis. Go and conquer the unbelieved hearts. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end 
of the age. So brothers and sisters, as we walk as pilgrims in this broken world, facing the reality of our own brokenness, may God's grace continue to provide us with rest for our souls in Christ. In His words, in His promises, in the pages of the Bible, but also in the presence of His Spirit who dwells in us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your great encouragement tonight. We thank you for your word, your promise, your presence. Lord, we cannot move forward without you. Just as Joshua and the Israelites, we need you. So please apply these words into our hearts. Even in the midst of our spiritual earthquakes, open up our eyes to see the reality that we are already God's children, that we are already united with Christ in His resurrection, and that the church you never fail, not because we are good or better, but because you are the church's one foundation. And we pray in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, O Lord. Amen.